Oh, man, I, there's too much in the notes and there's too much to celebrate, so I'm going to try to keep things moving in the proper directions. First of all, just for information's sake, uh, in the U.S., it's 70, I think 71% of churches are less than 100 people in size. And so it's worth celebrating that on Easter Sunday, we had about 100 people volunteering not just attending, volunteering on Sunday. And I, like, I'm just, I'm over the moon of the way that you guys cared for our city and loved on these kids and people who are like, I don't like children, but I'll, I'll work in children's ministry for Easter because Jesus told me to. Man, I'm so thankful for you. God used your effort and your time. Uh, we had, I, I told you our goal for Easter, like the upwards top of our goal was we hope to care for about 600 people on Easter. We had 658 people with us on Easter Sunday. How incredible is that? And this is the tremendous thing. We had 47 people make decisions to follow Christ on Easter Sunday. Um, there's so many cool things. If you didn't get to see the helicopter, there, there's photos of that you'll see on our social media. Make sure you see that. It just, it rocked the kids' world. And in fact, the helicopter egg drop is, is so popular. Other churches in our city have done it. And don't worry, they, they got my permission. I gave them the number for the pilot. And I don't want to say that Jesus loves us more than them. Um, but I will tell you, one of my friends who did the helicopter egg drop uh, we, we do it in, in this way because we've had so many kids, we've learned we drop empty eggs and every kid gets a bag that's filled with candy at the end when they turn in their eggs. And there's some special prize coins. So that way we don't have like super greedy kids stealing the eggs from other people. Like we, we got rid of that. But my, one of my friends across town who does the egg drop on, on the same day, they fill their eggs and they're like, oh, we don't care. Like just let, let them run, let them run amok. And, and that, that's what they do. Um, and so they have filled eggs, we have empty eggs. Some of you guys might figure out what happened on Sunday. <laughs> the filled eggs got dropped on our field. The empty eggs got dropped on their field. And they're like, what in the world happened to our candy that was in all of our eggs? And it's not that God loves us more. He just wants to bless us a little bit more on Sunday. That's what I told them. Uh, no, they, they were good. Their kids were good. They had candy that they were able to dig up, and they had bags of candy. All the kids got cared for. But it's one of those things. It, you, no one wants Easter morning to be a disappointing day. It's supposed to be a great day across the board. And, and it was here, and it was there too. But uh, we're, we're continuing a little bit of Easter today. Is that all right? We're going to continue on the resurrection a little bit. Yeah, because there's more to talk about here. This is a really interesting part of Easter day, and we're going to study what's referred to as the walk to Emmaus. And if, depending on your background, some of you guys might, has anyone gone on the retreat called a walk to Emmaus or Chrysalis? Anybody? Yeah, we got, we got at least one in here. Two, me and you. That's it. Um, it it's a retreat. And the focus of the retreat is really trying to get people through, through acts of love and service to, to move the knowledge about God from just the head to the heart. Because that's what the walk to Emmaus was. It, it, on the day of Jesus' resurrection, after the women had gone to the tomb and discovered that it was empty, when they heard the reports and they brought it back to the men, to the disciples, and to the, about you know, over 70 people who had been following Jesus since the beginning, when the reports got back to them, it sounded like foolishness is what Luke 24 says. And so at least two of the disciples said, you know what, if they're going to kill Jesus and everybody in town knows his name, he's popular, he's loved, he's respected, that if the Romans will kill him, they'll probably kill all of us because that's how the Romans would operate in cities where there was, quote, uprisings. They would just get rid of them all. 
to put everybody else in line. And at least two of the disciples said, well, you know what? It's time to go out of town. And they began a seven-mile walk to a city named Emmaus. And we're going to pick up in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, and I'm going to start reading at verse 13, and we'll put this up on the screen as I read it. It says, now that, that same day, this is the day of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, with these two disciples, Two disciples, these two guys, they're not part of the 12 disciples, but they were following the teachings of Christ. They were following around city to city. They were seeing the things that were happening, and they were heartbroken. In fact, when they had this interaction, though they did not recognize they were talking to Jesus, God kept that from them. But when he asked, their faces were downcast. Like, they were confused. They were heartbroken. They were disappointed. And they made the decision that if this happened to him, we need to go ahead and start moving and get out of town. Now, I want you to just begin to, to weigh out the things that they had seen. Because these were people who had seen Jesus feed 5,000. These are people, these two who were like, we're, we're going to get out of town. We're going to get back to our old life. We're going to get away from here. These are people who had seen Jesus resource, restore sight to the blind. The, these two who were walking away because Jesus had just been violently put to death and was put in the tomb. Even though they had seen Jesus bring the dead back to life, they said, it's time for us to get out of here. And once the thing started where the, the women were like, well, he's not in the tomb, that didn't change anything. And, and so when, when we, I just want to, I want to begin to just try to get our skin in the game for a minute. Because we hear it and we hear it through the context of history where we know Jesus had risen. The women had seen him. We know that. But if you could put yourself just into that, that place for a minute. Imagine just the tension that you feel internally of I've seen this person do great things. I've seen them perform incredible miracles. But I also saw with my own eyes him hanging dead on the cross. And I think that at least part of you can begin to summon up the understanding of, I can get why you would want to just get out of town in that place. I think you can get why the scripture says that their faces were downcast. Their hearts were breaking and they wanted to get back to something that was safe. And I think it's worth, worth talking about for a minute that this this piece that is in here, that they were kept from recognizing Jesus. This is not the only time that something like this happened. They're in their distress and they're walking back to Emmaus and they're not able to recognize that the person that they're talking to is actually Jesus himself. His hands pierced. They couldn't see it. When, when Mary first got to the tomb and the tomb was empty and in her distress, she ran up and she thought it was the gardener that she was talking to, but it was Jesus himself. And it wasn't until he said her voice that she actually stopped and looked at him and recognized who she was talking to. Peter, when he had gone back to fishing after Jesus was resurrected and he's out on the boat and Jesus calls to him and tells him to put their nets down. And then he recognizes that, oh, out there on the shore, that's Jesus himself. 
And Cleopas as well, when, when they're on this walk and they're going along, his distress and his fear and his worry kept him from seeing the person that he was actually talking to. And as, as we get into this passage, if you, if you kind of think back through your story, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm going to bet that you can probably pinpoint along the way the places where God's hand was in your life, but you were so consumed with stress, you were so consumed with work, you were so consumed with other things going on that you couldn't ever see the way that God was trying to direct your path. It is very possible to have God at work so close in your life, God walking near you, blessing you, speaking to you, calling out, saying, hey, you are heading the wrong way. These two followers of Christ were going seven miles in the wrong direction on the very day of Easter, the day that we celebrate Christ the most, the day that everybody gets together. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon on Easter and they are walking away from the other disciples, away from the other followers, followers of Christ and away from the place where Jesus was. And the beautiful thing that I think follows the heart of God so much is that even when so many people get onto the wrong road, even when so many people are moving in the wrong direction, Jesus is there pursuing them. His arms are open to their return. It, it, we, we've talked many times that, that our heartbeat passage is Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man, for Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. He is the type of loving God who pursues his people. And if you're new to church today, if you're just trying to get your faith back to where it's supposed to be, I want you to begin to think about and recognize how incredible it is that God has led you here in this place. His love is so incredible. He's been calling out to your life for years and years to bring you to this moment where he would say, come home to me. And even for someone who knew as much as a follower of Christ, who saw the actual miracles with their own eyes, that ate the bread, that it didn't even make sense that there was enough bread and fish for anyone. They were part of the miracles, but they got to a point where they were running in the wrong direction, seven miles away from where they should have been. And so Cleopas, he, he turns to him with his face downcast. He says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here today? And then in verse 19, Jesus responds and he says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. And pay attention to the wording in this in verse 21. He said, but we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tombs and found it just as the women had, had, had said. They didn't see Jesus, they, for, for they did not see Jesus. We had hoped. Can you sense kind of the final, finality of what they thought had happened? They thought that it was over, that it was done. There's no more, there, there's no more chance, it, it's over. But at the same time, they knew that it was the third day. Like this is the incredible tension and this is so relatable for so many of us. What Jesus said is, at, at the third day, I will be 
raised again. I will be raised to life. Like he told them, he warned them that he had to be put to death. The Old Testament prophecies told them what was going to happen. And on the third day, when it wasn't the very first thing that they saw, they gave up and they headed home. I could have understood giving up on the fourth day a little bit more easily. Like, like that would make more sense. Like, come on, guys. Like, one more day. Like, you saw him do so much. You saw him work so much. When he, he taught, it changed people's hearts. It, it confused the religious rulers. It, it, it changed your entire culture in time. But you can't give him 24 more hours for his promise to come true? What fools, right? That's what we say to them. But how long do we wait on God's promises to come true in our life? How surprised do we get when things get difficult and challenging? It would be so much easier if we knew that, you know, God put it on my heart to do this. God put it on my heart to be married one day, but I'm starting to give up on that dream because it hasn't ha- It would be so nice if you said, hey, in three days it's going to happen. That would be much more measurable. We'd know when to give up on it then. So many of us, we, we've gone through seasons where we, we kind of gave up on our faith because things got difficult. Why, why didn't God give us a warning about that? Well, he did kind of tell us in the Gospel of John that in this world you will have trouble, but we're still surprised by the trouble that we have, but the encouragement that he gave us, he didn't just say you'll have trouble, but he said, take heart for I have overcome the world. And so he tells us we're going to go through difficulties, we're going to go through pain, we're going to go through experiences that we said, well, God, if you were with us, why are we feeling this way? God, if, if you are with us, why were there Easter eggs that were empty on our field? Like, God, why do these bad things happen to good people? Like, we ask these questions as we experience difficulties, and I want to tell you, I want to remind you, I want to encourage your heart about the difficulty that you're walking through because you don't know God's timeline. But you do know that he is good. But you do know that he promises to never leave you or forsake you. You do know that he says that he will say, you are his personal child. You are his beloved child before his heavenly father. He will claim you as, your, as his own if you are in Christ. You know this. You know he won't leave you. You know that he loves you. You know that he has a plan for you. So why would you despair when things get difficult? Why would you allow yourself to feel like things are over now? I'm going to tell you, God loves a comeback story. That is the story of the resurrection. There is power through death. There is power through difficulty. And when you experience the trials of life, God is setting up a testimony on the other side. But do not give up on the third day. Amen? When there's more to come, when there's more to the promise of God, I, I want to tell you, there's so many times in my life that I've seen this, but I think one of the most measurable ways is just in the testimony of our church. When we launched this church in 2017, first of all, it was supposed to launch during Hurricane Irma. God, why would you let a hurricane fall on the weekend of our launch? Don't you know about our marketing campaign? People don't like Yard signs flying through their windows of their houses when they're supposed to be in the lawn. People don't check their mail. Like, all of that was wasted. God, why are you doing this? Okay, we launched, and we still had a great launch. We had something like 250 people at our launch. God is blessing it. And you want to know how great my leadership did? We were down to like 60-something people our first summer. That's not the direction a church is supposed to grow. 
But God was refining and setting up the people who were passionate about this mission and this calling and this purpose in this part of the city. And he was refining it. And everything in my heart, I'm going to tell you, on those Sunday mornings when the numbers were going down, 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 there was this voice that continued to whisper. And I know it's not just me. Other church planners have told me, same exact thing. They've heard it. This voice that says, this is going to be the Sunday when nobody comes. And it's just going to be you. And so you may as well just go get a large pizza and a box of Oreos and hide in the closet and eat it by yourself. Like there's this voice of despair. And that voice comes up, but the, the thing that has to respond to it is the truth of the word of God that is hidden in my heart, that is renewing my mind, that says, no, God has called me here and he has not called me here for a six-month church. He has called me here to spend my life in this community preaching the gospel and we are gonna be rooted and established here and there is spiritual seeds that we're planting every single week and they will harvest in time. God will fulfill his promises, not just to me, but to his church to expand the kingdom of God in this place. And so everything that God has promised will come to fruition. It will happen. And when I'm in the middle of the season where I feel like it is dying, God's promise hasn't died, but he will take you through the valleys to establish his purpose and to establish your faith. I'm going to tell you, there will be time and time again where you experience, it just feels like the lies and the difficulties are flying at me like flaming arrows. Like they are piercing my heart. They are piercing my resolve. They are tearing me down. In Ephesians chapter 6, and I apologize, I'm moving around in my notes. Hang with me, Remy. Go to the next one. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, describes the armor of God that a believer should have. And it says, in addition to all this other armor, take up the shield of faith which, with, with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Your faith should be translating the difficulties that you are walking through. With the, the case of these two disciples, these two followers of Christ who are walking down the road to Emmaus, moving away from the other followers of God, moving away from where the resurrection was happening in the very present, their faith was translating their circumstances and saying it's all over, it's all finished. We had hoped, but that hope is gone now. That's one way you can translate it. The other way you can translate it is it's the third day, and so the resurrection is about to happen. God's promise is about to come true. It shouldn't have surprised the disciples, but I get it. It's hard to believe. It's incredible. Nothing like it has ever happened or will ever happen again. He proclaimed that he would die. He proclaimed that he would be resurrected. And it happened. That doesn't happen in our world. So they were shaken up, but their faith should have pointed them towards once the women began to proclaim the risen Christ, which they were the first to proclaim the risen Christ. Once they did it, the men should have responded with faith, but they just didn't have it in them. Right now, the difficulties the, the, the things you're worried about, your anxieties, you're translating those anxieties and it's showing you something about your faith. Some of us, we have no faith. And, I, and I'm sorry if that's harsh to hear, but it's a reality and you'll see this, that we have no faith. And so when these attacks come, when anxiety comes, we have nothing to protect us. There is no shield of faith that changes the situation. And so when, when someone tells us, you're good for nothing, you're useless, we actually believe it. When someone tells us we have no future, we actually believe it and it strikes our heart. But what should happen is if you have a faith, that shield should be held up and said, you have that to say about me, but this is what God's word says about me. 
God's word says that he is able to make his servant stand, and it's not up to you to judge whether or not God's servant will stand, because he is able, and he will make it happen. And so our shield is held up, and it, and it blocks those arrows that would be attacking us. When someone has something to say about us and we know that it's not true, it can't get to our heart because our faith is a shield. Some of you, you do have faith, but you have not been holding it up, and you've been feeling it. You say, Paul, I do have a faith, but I have been believing these lies that other people have been speaking into my life. I have been believing these lies that what God has called me to do will never happen. And these attacks, they've been hitting you because your faith has been inactive. And I want to make sure you know, your faith is not a decision that you made years ago. Your faith is what is practiced today. Your faith is what is practiced on Monday morning. Your faith is what is practiced on Friday night. And I am not saying that you need to be perfect in all ways, but I am saying your faith should be something that changes your experience in the world because you recognize God has a purpose to accomplish through your life. And if you feel like my life, I have just, I have been getting beaten up and beaten up. I'm not saying it's your fault, but I am calling you, put on that armor of God. Because you will have trouble in this world, but behold, Jesus has overcome the world and he will make you an overcomer. After you have suffered a little while, he will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast is what First Peter says. God will work in your life. And I have to be careful because we have baptism videos and we have baptisms to do. And so I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna try to sum this up for you. Jesus responded to them in verse 25 and he said, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets are sp- have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was, what was said in all the scriptures. Jesus said, suffering was part of God's plan. It was part of the plan for the Messiah. And he started with Moses who said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go at all, God. And he preached a fire sermon that just lit their hearts up. And they went from having broken hearts to slow hearts to having burning hearts to where they got to Emmaus. And when they finally recognized that they were with Jesus, though it was the wrong time of day, of night to do it, they immediately were like, we've got to go back. And it's a seven-mile wasted trip. I don't know if you've ever run a half marathon. It's a little over a half marathon. And whenever you're running a half marathon, you question, why in the world am I running a half marathon? There are better ways to travel 13 miles. And maybe the last five years, 10 years, you have just been going in the opposite direction of God in your life. Maybe you had hoped, but something happened. There was a leader who failed you. There was a person who offended you. There's a prayer that didn't get answered on your timeline. And so you departed. And there's a time where God has been pursuing you, where you recognize, though I've been running in the wrong direction, I've got to go back now. There's a place where faith becomes active. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. If it's been difficult, God has not left you. But God is going to work in you. If you've been running away, it's time to run home. And if your faith has been inactive and you've just had that shield by your side, 
but not at work in your life. It's time to raise your faith up and move. And today we get to celebrate baptism within our church. And I wanna tell you, amongst the people who got saved at Easter and the people who through conversations later, God has continued to work, we're gonna do baptisms again in like in about a month. Um, but at the same time, I wanna make sure that you know if it is so pressing on your heart that you're like, I should have told Paul before that I need to be baptized and I haven't done it yet, um, we'll go ahead and do it today. I'm a little mad that we don't have a video of you talking about your baptism, but I'll forgive you. Um, because I, I think it's so powerful to hear people talk about it. But we have plenty of baptism shirts. We have plenty of opportunity. If not, we'll be doing baptisms again in about a month. But if you're like, I need to do it. We already added one person this morning before I even preached. God, God is that good. We, he doesn't even need me to preach and he's gonna work in people's hearts. But as these videos play, those who are getting baptized, will you just meet me back by the soundboard? And if God has stirred it up in your hearts where you know I need to do this today, then meet me back there. And we'll start the run back to God together. Let's go ahead and play the video. Hi, my name is Kate Richard, and I recently became a Christian and gave my life to Christ. And I believe it's important to get baptized today to go on this journey and follow his teachings. My whole life, I've always known that God existed, but my family went to many different churches and it was intermittent when we even attended. It wasn't until the last six months when I moved to Florida and I found Gulfside that I actually felt like I had found my home, my church home, my church family. Um, ever since day one of being here, I felt so welcomed and accepted and safe and loved. And because of that, I continue to explore my faith and grow closer to God. I never knew before that you could have a personal relationship with God. I knew that God loved his children. I just didn't know that he could love me specifically. I always struggled with feelings of not being worthy or um, accepted. And so my biggest hurdle in becoming a Christian was believing that God would send his only son, even if I was the only person, that I had to know in my heart that he loved me that much and that was very very difficult for me and so with that I want to stand up in front of everybody and follow God's teachings and um, be baptized today. Hi my name is Aaron Council Jr. and I'm choosing to be baptized today um, because I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm ready to follow what he teaches about baptism. Today I'm here with family and friends, and I'm just excited for this next chapter. I want to get baptized because I want to do anything I can right now to get closer to God. And I want to put, make God a priority in my life and put him above everything else. For several years now, I've heard God speaking to me, telling me that you need to be baptized. My answer was always no. 
no, I'm not ready, I'm not prepared, I'm not good enough, I'm not that picture-perfect Christian, I'm broken, I have fear, what will people think of me, why didn't I get baptized earlier? Um, I just kept telling God no, and I knew it was wrong, but I felt like if you just gave me a little bit more time, God, I could, I can make you proud. Fast forward 14 years later, here I am today, still not baptized. Um, three weeks ago when Pastor Paul spoke about being baptized, I, I heard God speak over me and say, you know what, Jenna, I've waited. This is your time. This is your time to be baptized. Why do you keep telling me now? You know, you're never going to be that perfect Christian you, you speak about that you think you need to prepare for. Um, But this is the next step that I'm asking for you to make you better, to make you continue on your journey with me. So here I am today. I've signed up and I am here to do this in front of my family, in front of my friends, um, and just profess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I am ready to be renewed. Hi, my name is Paige Navarro. And I am Rico Navarro. And we are getting baptized today to publicly proclaim our faith. And set a better example for our kids. Hello, my name is Yauli Garcia. And today is a special day for me today because um, I decide to follow Jesus and give my life to Him. I feel so, so great and so, so um, full of joy today. Because I decide to follow Jesus and get baptized today. Hi, my name is Nelson Villaverde, and today I'm choosing to be baptized uh, because I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Um, I want to follow his teaching, um, and I'm excited today to be doing this alongside my wife as we are both doing it together, taking that leap and following Christ. And we're happy to do it in front of our friends and family, and of course, everyone here at Golfside. Hi, my name's Elizabeth Lara. And my name is Ronaldo Reyes. And we have taken the step to get baptized because... We want to follow the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And walk beside Him in the right path as we move forward. Hi, my name's Jesse Booker, and I'm choosing to be baptized today for the second time in my life. Uh, The first time was when I was a younger child. Uh, I don't really remember too much about it, um, but I'm choosing to do it as an adult um, today uh, to further my walk with Christ. Um, I've been attending church for the last 15 years uh, regularly, and um, I'm here today with my wife and my two daughters, uh, my mother and father, and some other family members. Um, And I'm just looking forward to setting a good example for my family um, and uh, publicly proclaim my faith in Christ uh, to everyone that's going to be there. Um, And I'm looking forward to the renewed spirit.